about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I'll have mercy on whom I have mercy and I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, There is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. Continuing on a couple of pages later in chapter 40 of Exodus, from verse 34 on page 78. Starting at verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night, and in sight of all the Israelites during all their travels. This is the word of the Lord. Tonight's Bible readings are brought to you by denim shirts and black trousers. Um, second reading is from John chapter 1. Um, That is on page 860 of the Blue Bibles, John chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, The world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. 
We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. Thanks be to God. Good evening again, but we pray. Father, we do pray that the light of the Lord Jesus as he came into the world would enlighten our hearts this evening as we read your word. That you would still us, help us to pause and give us focus on the great miracle that you've brought about as we celebrate Christmas. We pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. We've been wandering through the book, uh, through the chapter of John chapter 1 uh, for three weeks just to kind of linger there uh, and take in the fullness of what God is saying to us and what is a packed and very stunning part of the Bible. It's, one of the, it's the mature reflection in the chapter upon the birth of the Lord Jesus and its great significance. So we've been spending a bit of time there. And that's interesting because I think if there's one thing that Australians really struggle with or what I find really surprising about Australians and Christmas is that we don't really linger over Christmas at all. If you go to Europe or you go to North America and you're there in Christmas time, you'll notice on Boxing Day that Christmas movies are still running on TV and the lights stay up and people stay in this jovial, light-filled mood. Christmas, it's almost atmospheric, lingers in these places. But in Australia, it's like a cliff face. Boxing Day turns around, the Christmas movies stop, um, and the lights get pulled down, and cricket starts, and the beach is full, and the sails are on, and everyone's just heading toward New Year's Day. There's this, I don't know what it is, are we exhausted from December, and we're kind of done with everything, or is it just the allure of summer in all of its escapism and beauty, maybe? Or maybe it's to do with the fact that we are a post-Christian country. Uh, We're a country that's hung around with Jesus for so long that really his coming among us isn't really of great significance to linger over. One American writer reflecting on the same thing says that even among observant Christians, the holiday season has been often flattened into a sentimental call to warm religious feelings. Feel joyful around Christmas, Christmas, feel happy, feel good. The coming of Jesus is kind of reduced to that. And so there's no point in lingering over that. There's no substance, no beauty to that. I think we need to dig a bit deeper. Perhaps in a post-Christian country, we need to sit and we need to linger and dwell a bit more to see the beauty of what's happening, really. Reminds me of one time when Cass and I found this beautiful old pew on the side of the road. Uh, It was in Pimble, and uh, we came across this pew. And when we found it, it wasn't beautiful. It was Disgusting. It was covered in these thick layers of brown, disgusting paint, and we saw potential and so adopted it, took it home, and I spent weeks, weeks sanding off the disgusting mess that was on it. And the time I spent sanding and sanding and hours and hours 
uh, were finally paid off when its beauty, its raw beauty, its craftsmanship was revealed beneath them. I think it's what you have to do in a post-Christian country to get to the heart of Christmas. You've got to wait. You've got to stop. You've got to linger. And you might have to work a little. And so let's just wander through this text. And I want to tell you four things. We'll give you four things to linger over this week as you walk into Christmas. They're not religious feelings. There are four things about Jesus to linger over. First one is this. He really was made flesh. He really was made flesh. In verse 14, which is where we'll start tonight, the first four words I think I could spend the whole next 20 minutes on. They are remarkable words, some of the most stunning words in the whole of Scripture. The Word became flesh. The Word is, of course, verse 1, this Word who was from the beginning, who was with God and who was God, and, and through Him all things were made, and without Him nothing was made that has been made. He is the Word that gives life to everything, and joy and hope and substance and light and life to the stars and the planets and all of human life, the eternal word. Through him, everything became. And yet we're told in verse 14 that there comes a day where he became. Now, he always was. We learned that from verse 1. But there's a day in history where he chooses in his power and sovereignty and might and glory to become something in creation. He could have entered in as a star in the sky, as some stunning unknown thing. But what did he become? He became flesh. Now, flesh is a very interesting word choice, I think. Of all the words you could use to describe becoming human, this is the most dirty and the most gritty. You could have used the word for man or humanity. You could have used the word for body. You could have said he took on a body. Or you could have talked about it more majestically. But the word flesh is the word most of the New Testament is used to describe actually human sinfulness. That's not true of Jesus. But for, for what it really encompasses is the whole fragility of being human. All of what it means to be like us. It means to have a body prone to death and disaster, prone to fire, prone to complicated families and connections, vulnerable, filled with desires, filled with sadness and loneliness that can get lost and grieve. The word took on flesh, your flesh, my flesh. Our flesh. Our fragile, breaking, destructible flesh. It's a remarkable thing. And the incredible thing really about this is that he doesn't stop being the word. He doesn't lay aside his glory as the word to become flesh. No, it is through his glory, in his freedom and majesty and glory and divinity, he chooses to descend to us. So that when you touch the face of Jesus, you touch the face of God. 
He really did take on flesh. But the second thing is, he was more than flesh. He was the glorious son. The next phrase kind of unpacks what it means for him to become flesh. And it talks about how he was made his dwelling among us. Literally, he pitched his tent. He came camping among us. He tabernacled, which was the word from Exodus. Did you pick that up? It's the name for the the, the tent that was uh, put up in Israel and then was filled with the glory of Yahweh. And it became the point at which Israel could come to meet their God. And in it, the, the, the glory of God was tangible. There was a cloud on top. It filled the tabernacle as it began. And, you know, the glory of God could be sensed. It was available. It could be felt. It could be known. It was almost tangible and visible in the place of the tabernacle. And God there dwelled with his people and journeyed with them. You see, in the word becoming flesh, God fulfills his longing story to dwell with his people. The tabernacle was made of ram skins that had been sacrificed. But in these last days, Jesus has come among us and the the eternal son has taken on our flesh. See how the glory is described? We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father. This isn't just a general divine presence that fills Jesus, not just a a power. No, this is the eternal Son of the Father, sent from the Father into the world. See, the remarkable thing at this point is to realize that the story of Christmas is utterly unique to Christianity. Utterly unique to the God who is Father, Son, and Spirit. If you talk to a Muslim, professor, or just uh, adherent, they will describe to you how offensive it is to describe the Most High Allah coming and taking on the dirt of our flesh. Utterly offensive to consider at all. And yet if you went to someone who uh, is well-versed in the New Age religions. They would say, how dare you say that divinity only dwells in Jesus, in the one and only Son. Divinity is in us all. It is a power with which we all access God. It's diffused among us. It's not a person. It's a substance. See, both in these views, the incarnation makes no sense. But in the story of Christmas, we have a God who has a word he has spoken from eternity. A son who can perfectly make a father known. Whose trajectory is into the world to make his father known. See, in this story, God is both transcendent and mighty and yet can condescend to us in one person, one unique place, not as a power, but as the eternal son, a person who can be known, who can be touched, who can be seen, who can be felt. In Jesus, God tabernacles with us, the glory of the eternal son. 
is visible in the Lord Jesus Christ, the fullness of God in flesh. He was really flesh, and he was the glorious son. But what did his coming bring? When he came into the world, what did he bring? Well, he is full of grace and truth. That's the third thing. See in verse 14, he came full of grace and truth. Out of his fullness, we've all received grace in place of grace already given, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Did you notice in the first Exodus reading, Moses' conversation with Yahweh? He asks to see Yahweh's glory. And Yahweh says something really interesting. He says, I will make all of my what pass before you? All of my goodness pass before you. To see and understand the glory of God is to see the fullness of his goodness. Which he goes on to describe as his sovereign compassion and mercy. His unmerited kindness given to some. His freedom to be a God of grace toward his people. And so when Jesus comes into the world and the the glory of God is seen, what do we see? We see God's grace in its fullness. That's why the only other reference in John to the one and only Son is John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he sent his Son, his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And when you get to John 12 and Jesus starts talking about the glory with, that he will be glorified with, in John 12 he starts to speak of his death of being lifted up. In the life of Jesus, the goodness and grace and compassion and mercy of God are on its fullest display when the flesh of Jesus is executed. There we see all of God's goodness on display. I'm told this this grace is grace in place of grace, in place of the grace of the old covenant, of the law of Moses given to keep God's people in relationship with himself, that longing for God to dwell with the people. Jesus replaces and surpasses and fulfills that grace. He is grace and truth come among us, seen to and testified by John. In the coming of the glorious Son in flesh, grace and truth come to us. Now, this is so important for your next week. Because let's be honest about Christmas. It is often disappointing, often feels, leaves you feeling empty, or maybe hollow. I didn't grow up going to church. I grew up watching Star Wars. That's my story. And I remember doing Christmas without Jesus. I remember that very clearly. Um, And I remember the excitement of everything. I remember unwrapping a Super Nintendo and the joy of that under the tree. I remember uh, family gatherings and not mentioning the relatives who weren't there really awkwardly and everyone knew why they weren't there, but no one talked about it. Uh, I remember the pain and the stress of those gatherings. And I, I distinctly remember the feeling of hollowness after it all, of just the lack of substance or anything in what we'd just done. You know that feeling, right? 
Elvis talked about the blue Christmas where you are sitting there enjoying things, just feeling absence and loss. Friend, when emptiness shows up and hollowness and disappointment show up, do you remember that the fullness of grace and truth is not at your Christmas table, either one in the past, in the present, or the future? It's not wrapped under your tree. It's not found in your harmonious family relations. It's not found in well-wishing and false words. It's found in the flesh of Jesus. And when you get to that point of feeling empty and hollow, which you will, remember that's the moment you need to flee to him. And drink from his grace and truth. Because in him and only him does God give us his fullness. But there's one fourth thing I want to tell you from this text. This is a bit of a U-turn, okay? Just as a warning. But boy, boy is Jesus offensive. Boy is this whole Christmas thing, this incarnation thing offensive. Offensive to Muslims, offensive to New Age believers. Very offensive to first century Jews. You know, verse 18, when you first read it, sounds really cute. But in the context of John's gospel is the reason why Jesus is executed. John 18, uh, verse 18 says, No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is, in, is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. God, the unique Son, has unique access to the Father, and therefore when he speaks and everything he is makes the Father known. Sounds great. But when Jesus in John 10 says, I and the Father are one, they try to stone him. And when Jesus talks in John 14 about how no one comes to the Father except through him, the disciples don't understand what he's talking about. You see, at the heart of Christmas is an absolutely radical and offensive claim. That Jesus is the unique revelation of God the Father. And there is no way to see or know or access the Father apart from the glorious Son in the flesh of Jesus Christ. And it's offensive to us too, I think. If you really, if you really let it sink in for what it is, it should offend you. Because Jesus is claiming that all of your spirituality and all of your faith and all of your religiousness are worth nothing. They don't get you to the Father. You know, this truth, it confronts the centering of your life on your career and your money, in your relationships, in your sense of control and power and comfort. When we make the universe about these things, Jesus comes to us and says, I am the only way to the heart of the universe. And it is no thing it is my Father. And no one has ever seen him, but I make him known. See, when the incarnation drops for you, it should offend your heart and force you to the point of realizing that really what you need desperately, truly, is the grace and truth revealed in Jesus. More than anything else you have in your life, more than anything you can gain for yourself, Feel the offense that Jesus should bring to you so you can flee to him for grace.
because he was made really flesh. He is the glorious son who comes full of grace and truth. And he will lead you back to to your father. You see, he took on fragile flesh that you might find his father. And friend, when you lay hold of that, there is no unsettling family relationship or disappointment or anything else that's going to happen this week that will unsettle you. Because Jesus has taken you back to the heart of everything, to the loving Father overall. Let's pray. Father, we long this evening by your Spirit to feel the weight of the Word made flesh, who in his sovereign power and might, by your Spirit, came among us to reveal you to us. Father, we want to feel the, 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 the weight of what this means for the way we do life. And we want to confess that we are finding other ways to make whole of life that are apart from his revelation of you. And so we come gripping onto his grace, won by his own flesh offered on the cross, for which we give infinite thanks, and in whose name we pray. Amen. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.